Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Just when you thought Twitter couldn't get any more stupid, welcome aboard, OJ Simpson. The juice is loose. <laughs> I'm also with Mac tonight. What's up, Redcasters? Long time, no time. It's, tonight we're going to be talking little Husker camps, Husker recruiting, Husker roster stuff. Let's let's uh, let's put these other seasons to bed, fellers. <laughs> He's ready for football talk, guys. All right, I'm also with Boomer. Well, I was just thinking, since this is kind of the end of our season show, it's really just a shame. Not much happened in Husker athletics this uh, this past season to give us a whole lot of podcast fodder. So. Yeah, nothing going on in any sport, really. I mean. Uh, let alone that new women's golf coach we got just hired. You know, we probably should should cover that. Mac will be breaking uh, that down later. So yeah, <laughs> good, good. All right, well, guys, uh, this is our season-ending show. It's uh, mid-June. I think this is the latest we've ever taken a season, thanks to Husker baseball extending out uh, the, the conversations quite a bit, and we had uh, some great basketball talk throughout the season, including a new coach there as well. And then, you know, football, which uh, we get back to talking a little bit more tonight. As Mac alluded to, we can talk about the Husker football camps that kicked off last weekend and uh, also recruiting. Uh, Honky, why don't we start there a little bit? Why don't you just start with roster management, remind everybody where we're at uh, number-wise, and uh, let's go from there. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I mean, the last couple of shows we have been talking baseball, obviously closing up some of the basketball, so it has been a little bit, little while since we – really delved into the uh, the roster. And since we've last talked, uh, C.J. Smith left. That took us down to 81. <laughs> Excuse me. Then about a week ago, we added uh, Rutgers tight end uh, transfer Travis Vokalek. Uh, so that got us back up to 82. That's where we currently are sitting at for this year's, this year's roster, leaving us three spots available for some divert, deserving walk-ons. Um, what's interesting about rosters and recruiting, uh, they both kind of tie in together is that, you know, expect the unexpected. Things happen. Things change. Just tonight we're reading that Jakeem Green, the uh, defensive tackle Juco that I thought was already signed, <laughs> apparently he's uh, not signed and maybe taking some, uh, some uh, he's visits. Taking a, he's taking official visits. Definitely. Yeah, you know, so the thing is just, you know. And he's taking it to Texas Tech. It's not like you go to Lubbock for fun, really. So, yeah, that is, you know, I don't want to be a cynic, but, uh, you know, if he was just happened to – be visiting someplace in Florida or, or California, whatever. But come on, um, Lubbock is lovely in June, Dave. <laughs> yes, absolutely gorgeous when those winds blow off the high plains. And yeah, not like the Permian Basin this time of year. The smell is just you know attractive. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, I think in general though, what what it's what it's telling me, we have a strong roster right now. We we do. I mean, Frost and company, they've done a good job in the last eighteen months. They've gotten you know some really good depth built up, and they're starting to get the walk-ons and all that going. But things change, and they can change in a hurry. Dave? Yeah, well, I know Max just chopping at the bit to, to talk here, so I'm going to ask him this question. C.J. Smith, uh, a little bit surprised about that? And wouldn't you categorize that as something that we really thought was probably going to contribute, whether it's next year or in the future? I mean, a lot of these people, a lot of these guys have left. We're like, eh, you know, whatever. Maybe he'd be good, maybe not. But, I mean, I think you're high enough on C.J. Smith, right? Oh, absolutely. I was I was very high on him at from an athletic standpoint, and he came in looking like the kind of guy that I thought 
Well, he fits that that Frost, Chenander kind of mold, long, lengthy guy, likes yeah. to mix it up, willing to come up on run support and a kind of a playmaker. But, you know, injuries piled up, playtime got to be a little bit elusive. And I think, honestly, a couple things. It's a combination of a couple of things. I think we've had some seniors and, and upperclassmen step up when you're talking about Dismuke and you're talking about Williams. Those guys have, have clearly established that they are – serious about getting great and, and being a better secondary. And then we've got these this freshman class coming in that Travis Fisher has been not bashful at all yeah. about pumping up. You got hmm. Noah Pola Gates, you've got Farmer, you've got uh you've got Toby Wright's kid. Uh I mean it it just seems like I don't know if Pressure it was a from both sides with a this bit. guy, but the writing was on the wall. You're gonna have to you're gonna and he just decided to take off. That's okay. I mean that's what I said. If if it's the environment we're going to create is this competitive, then we're going to lose some guys from time to time. That's fair. I hear you. I just, I, that's interesting, I guess. Well, and that's the thing with the roster and recruiting. They go hand-in-hand hand together because things can change in a hurry. So I just talked about how the rosters had a little bit of movement in the last few weeks. Well, let's go to the first mailback question from Springfield Nate. And he goes, uh, first off, how is my favorite podcast doing? That's a, a great way to suck up and, and to get your question <laughs> Thanks, onto the show. Nate. Thank you. But also – uh, what do you all think about the lull in recruiting, and should we be worried about this, or is this normal? It seems like uh, this time of the year we're normally neck-deep in players. And so right now, to give an update on that, we are at three official recruits. Now, granted, these three are all very highly rated for what yep. for what that is worth. Corcoran and, and Betts are you know, within not just the 500-mile radius, but really the 200, you know, one to 200-mile radius and are very high top 50-type recruits. But also Smothers, the quarterback, the the spot that you want to get in any class, the quarterback, he just, yep. again, for what it's worth, got a fourth uh, star. So three guys are all four stars. But also, you know, things change in a hurry, Mac. And I think we can agree right now we might be sitting at three, but by the time this show goes live tomorrow, it could be five. Could be seven. Who knows, right? This stuff can change in a hurry. Yeah, this is this one is a kind of a frustrating topic for me sometimes. I'm like, wh- what point am I supposed to start panicking about our mm-hmm. numbers and of an unsigned recruit that said he's going to come here yep. in June? I'm like, I just don't get that worked up about it, period. Because until we get closer to signing day and you've seen these guys show some true commitment, I'm just not gonna. I'm just not gonna put all my you know, eggs in that basket. Are you telling me that they, they can decommit? Yeah. They, these, <laughs> oh, this is the pledge phase. Red <laughs> Caster. This is what we refer to as pledge phase. And I love these guys and I hope they stay with us and I'm sure they probably will. But until the, until the ink's dry and just like, I'm not going to get too excited about a guy. But, the, but the point is, I think with the way this staff recruits, uh, the guys that we get will probably be less of the wishy-washy type, and those guys take a little bit longer to make some choices. And and the coaching staff has talked about it. This is their first full year of building relationships, so we're going to get in a little bit deeper into the season maybe before we get some guys to pull the trigger. And if we start winning, you know, depending, like, who knows what could happen. It's so funny because recruiting the calendar has scooted up so much. It's almost like the season that they're going to sign for almost has no effect on these guys. So it's building relationships – you talk about recruiting. I don't know if you saw the stats. I wish I had them in front of me. And, and boom, Rob, maybe I'll have you look these up. But they showed the stat, the, the number of states and high schools and players that these guys have contacted in that in that period of time for evaluation. It was astronomical how efficient this staff has gotten. So, I, no, I'm not worried about the recruiting at all. When they sign, I'll feel pretty good about the guys we signed. Every guy that we have signed this for this coming cycle, I feel is completely solid. Solid, yeah. I, I mean, some of this comes from 
from some schools, the Alabamas and, and Clemsons of the world, and in the past, Texas was notorious for having all 25 kids sign before they, they played their, you know, their first game of their senior year, essentially, right? And then you also have some uh, opposite spectrum. Uh, you also have schools like Iowa or Northwestern that will sign a bunch of two or three star kids uh, that are kind of under the radar, and they lock them down early too, right? And Iowa has that uh, mentality: of, we're not even going to let anybody who commits to us visit another school, or we're going to just kick them out of the class. And so uh, we kind of fall in between there. And Mac, I think your point about uh, having uh, enough spots available in this class as the season progresses makes a lot of sense, right? We could have a, a really good start to the season and that could, uh, you know, see some additional recruits that we may not even be on the radar right now start to consider it. Well, and, us. and with the number of offers we have out there, who knows, right? We, we have got, we've got out there and seen all the guys that I feel like are on their, uh, on the top of their boards for all this season goes. So if we get a little momentum and we start showing what we all feel like is the culture f- you know, finally in place here at Nebraska, I could see guys jumping on right away. But it, how? Go ahead. I was just gonna ask how how many do we usually have by June or July first? What what would be a typical class at, I, by I, the end of this month? Anywhere between, I, I'd say it, we are low. I mean, I'm not gonna lie that we aren't low, but I would say anywhere between eight to nine to ten, somewhere in that range by June. Um, but it's so it that's such a fluid thing, you know. It, it, and again, depending on your transition year, or, or and yeah, again, we different. we're recording this on a Tuesday night, and by the time it goes out on Wednesday, we could have three new guys. And, and, and I'm not kidding; it could be that quick that well, things can change, and all of a sudden your numbers look different. Um, that that's that's the challenge right now. We have a lot of offers out there. Um, I think that the other thing that we are talking about right now yeah, is things hockey. Like, really quick, it, it, do we have the most offers of all? Division one programs, is that correct? That's what I've heard, and that's what I've read. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that's going on right now, too, is we have Friday Night Light Camps. We just had this very successful pipeline camp. And for all those schools that go out and, and get 25 kids by the spring before their senior years, good for you. Uh, Texas Texas was, you know, notorious for doing that here in the early mm-hmm. 2000s and, or 2010s, and all of a sudden their, uh, you know, their season started to go under those last few years under, under Mac Brown. Um, but that was something that they would do. They'd have their entire class signed up. Well, recruiting takes a while, and people – I know we don't want to be patient, but to bring kids into camps and also kids that are seniors, that have their best years as seniors, which is very normal, by the way, in high school, and to be able to wait and actually have spots open for kids when they're playing their best ball and to evaluate them at that time. There's nothing wrong with that. So this staff is evaluating a lot of players, mm-hmm. and and – this is the one thing, too. I, I'm very confident right now. Here, I'll throw my little prediction out here. I think Blaze Gunderson. I think uh, Watts from Burke. I think, is it Nash Meyer? Is that the kid? Uh, Nash Hutchmacher. Hutchmacher, Nash, yeah. yeah. The, the kid <laughs> he just combined his first and last names. Names don't, names don't matter to me until you're here <laughs> and, and, and your name's on the back of a red jersey. But the kid from South Dakota, the point is, is that this staff has shown a lot of ability here in a very short amount of time to lock down the borders of this state and those states right around it. I don't even like to say 500-mile radius because that sounds too much like a like a, a Riley term, but we're going to be very strong in the states right around us and, and, and from here. And, and it starts from here, and that's really important, is that our recruiting classes are going to build from Lincoln and out, not the other way. We're not going to start in California and work our way back. Absolutely true. You know, 
one of the things that we were talking about a little bit before that I want to kind of circle back to are these camps. You know that you know during the Riley era, the Friday night. Friday Night Lights camp was kind of the big deal. We brought in all those flashy recruits. It was a kind of a seven-on-seven drill, and we and we got all these big-time names to come here and 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 hang out on our campus, and then eventually not uh, commit to us, which was great, you know, and or, or commit to us <laughs> and then decommit to us. Yeah. And then you know you you switch that around, you fast forward that to the Frost era, and you kind of take that momentum of the Friday Night Lights camp, and then you you go back to your corporate sponsor and Adidas, and then you all kind of brainstorm into this this pipeline camp, which makes so much sense on so many levels for Nebraska. And you become you become this sort of uh, this beacon for big men to come and camp. And then on top of that, Adidas does a great job of bringing the Army All-American like scout evaluation in there to make it even more enticing for these big name recruits to get here because what's always the number one obstacle that we have in recruiting it's the perception of lincoln or the perception of nebraska in and of itself and when they get here it's like oh this is completely different than i thought these fans are bonkers about us it's different here than anywhere else in the country that's where the staff is taking this you know like somebody mentioned you know it's more more uh staked and sizzle this year and that's absolutely what it was the friday night lights camp was was teaching coaching instruction mm-hmm. and and just interaction with our staff it's you know that's going to be the next step that's how we're going to have to get in when we fit in with recruiting if you want these camps to really truly be a recruiting tool for you work the kids and work them hard while they're here if you don't do that if you just make it what a friday night lights camp was two or three years ago where guys are just running around in shorts I mean, look at that pipeline camp. There was real teaching going on. There's real education going on between coaches, between former players, between current players, and the prospects that are in there. You get these guys into some uncomfortable situations, or you work them and and you really show them some tools to make them better, and those are the things that they can lead to future recruits coming here. We can see these guys in actual situations where it's like, hey, I saw this kid when he was a freshman, when he was a sophomore. That's how, you know... Again, recruiting isn't an overnight thing. So I I know we're talking a lot about it, but people have been talking a lot about it on social media and so on. I'm not concerned with us being at three right now. Maybe if Frost wasn't here, maybe if it was a Mike Riley staff, maybe I'd be concerned if we were well, stuck If it was a three. Mike Riley staff, we probably would have more pledged recruits, you know, that sure. would say they were going to come. I mean, they... And it would be fantastic, and we wouldn't. They'd be so good that we almost wouldn't want to fire a four-win coach. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good stuff, guys. Uh, all right, Hockey, anything else there in the mailbag in relation to football? Well, uh, not in relation to recruiting, but if we kind of move football into maybe a little more of a generic, you know, some of the general discussion points that we've been uh, reading over the last few weeks since we've last talked football. Um, I think one of the things that we talk about with Frost is bringing back that, that Nebraska culture and that, that family and everything. And one of the interesting articles was a couple weeks ago. It was in The Athletic. Mitch Sherman wrote about it. And it was Danny Woodhead, a kid who was not a Nebraska player. He's not part of the Husker family in that right. sense. And yet how he was welcomed back right. to the program by Frost right away, like within the first couple of weeks of being on yeah. the job, and welcomes him back. And uh, I think Woodhead had a great comment. And he goes, they never had anything to do with me, but I feel like there's a lot of healing. They made me feel like I played at Nebraska. They made me feel like I'm a part of it. Go big red. I mean, that's yeah. How cool is that, Mac? Yeah. It, it, it almost saddens me to feel like we've got this Danny Woodhead who's from Nebraska, and he's really not part of the Nebraska lore or history. He really should be a part of it. So it's cool for him later on in life to be kind of attached to the program, and it's it's like, 
you know, if, if things would have been going right back then, you would have been a part of this program, you know. But, yeah, great to see. It's just another It's just another layer of frost getting Nebraska, the pipeline camp. Who do you bring back there? The entire oh my pipeline. God. The entire pipeline is there to support the camp. They promote, they, oh. you know, they do a Twitter blitz about it. They, it's a fantastic job of, of tying in old with the new and, and just this, this upswell of, like, this is the culture that wins at Nebraska. This is how we get it done. This is what makes us special. Oh, my God. Dave, out there. Dave, you saw the photo. Wiegert, yeah. Stey, Graham, Wilkes, Zaska. I mean, how cool. Zateka. <laughs> <laughs> I can never pronounce it right, right? But No, I think you got it. You know, I got it right enough. finally, yeah. Close enough. But, you know, I, I, one of the photographs, <laughs> I, I saw that photograph there all there, and, and amazing how some of them have, have lost weight or, or maintained their size. What, what was the photograph? It was, like a, it was a poster of those guys, like, eating pancakes. Did anybody see that on Twitter? I mean, it was from 94, 95. Oh, was it like a pancake, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, like uh, Brennan, it was Stye and Weigert maybe were, like, serving pancakes. And it, just, it was just ridiculous. <laughs> Aaron Graham was in it. I, I couldn't – there was, like, two extra guys. I couldn't quite figure out who they were. But um, it, was a, it was a classic, you know, mid-'90s uh, poster. But, yes, they were playing off the pancake thing. Yeah, it, it was awesome to see them all there. And Absolutely. what it is, too, it's the proof in the pudding, so to speak, that what Frost has talked about with I want Oregon speed, but I want Husker power, it is, my God, we are going to be as fast as anybody in the country mm-hmm. as he re- continues to recruit and all that. We're going to be as fast as anybody, and we're going to be as up-tempo as anybody, and yet we put the emphasis into pipeline camps. Right. How tough is it to defend a team that can do to you what a what a Purdue with Rondell Moore, what an Oregon can do with Tempo, and all that kind of stuff? How tough is it to defend that team, but then that team turns around and they beat you up the way that a Wisconsin or Iowa does? When Scott Frost went on that big red blitz uh, with you know Moose and and uh, and Hoiberg a couple weeks ago, and he made that statement. I, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but he made that statement about how Nebraska teams used to beat you up and you felt it the next week. You, you, know, you, you would usually lose the next week after playing Nebraska because we beat you up that bad. That's what we want to do to you, essentially. I think that's when he said beat the piss out of you. <laughs> but the point is, that is how awesome is that? And so one of the ways to show these kids is let's have a pipeline camp. We're going to be the school to do that. We're going to bring you here. We're going to have, you know, Outland winners like Wiegert sitting there working with you. That That is just, oh, that's so Nebraska yeah. right there. Yep. I just, I love it. I love everything about that. Yeah, I really like the, uh, I think it was video, I think it was uh, Farniak that was like teaching some kid up. Uh, my yep. thing, and I was like, that, that looked like, that was awesome. He was really into it. And you could tell it was important to him to, to be, be communicating these skills to, to the kids in the camp. So that was really cool. And, you know, as we talk about toughness, something that just is happening this week with the team is the program. Mm. So, uh, you know, for all that talk about how Moose doesn't allow outside consultants to come in and work with teams, uh, I don't know what that's about because we have the program here for yet a second year, and I think they'll be here for many, many years to come, uh, bringing a lot of toughness to this team, yep. Mac. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just – more team building exercises, more culture building exercises. I would. It, it, I'm kind of curious. There hasn't been as much of a Twitter blitz on the on the on the program as there was a year before. Same with the weightlifting, actually. Too. Mm-hmm. There seems to be. It's really kind of died down on that front. It just seems more like handling business. But, but yeah, anything you can do to kind of get this team unified and pointed in a direction. You know, if if leadership's 
like a precursor to success. It seems as though that we're on the right path from the head coach on down, you know, and, and, and they're doing the best they can to kind of create that culture and, and motivate it forward with the program. I mean, it's, it's, you know, one guy I was thinking about about this because we were talking about the transfer portal, and I was thinking about uh, the <clears throat> Daniels, Darian Daniels. I'm like, if, if we're actually – I almost feel like we're actually better because of that guy. Even if he never played a snap this year, if he got hurt somehow in the fall, I think we'd be better on the defensive line because of the leadership and the, and the maturity he brought to that defensive line. And that just kind of speaks to the culture that we're building there. Just one more of that frost effect that's, you know, the program – proper the, the transfers that fit the culture and like that kind of stuff is what gets me the most excited hey honk uh really quick uh could you just like since we're not gonna have a show here for the next month or so can you run down what will uh all the players be doing on campus essentially between now and august 1st or so when everybody really starts gearing up for the next season yeah so I mean, obviously they're still not only are they doing the program right now but they're doing all the, the War Daddy Up movement with, mm-hmm. with Duvall. Uh, they started that mid-May, so this yeah. is the longest any kind of summer camp that we've ever had in terms of that is going on. Uh, they'll be doing that well through July. I'm yep. sure they'll probably get a week or two off at the very tail end of it, right before the August um, practice starts up, the August camp. And we still are dealing with the NCAA rule where there's no more two-a-days, right? So. Yep. I think what they try to do, what Frost has tried to do, is start the camp a little bit earlier to make up mm-hmm. for that. The way that two a days used to, you know, you could fit more in, you know, a smaller, oh, sure, sure, sure. smaller period. I think they just move it back. So I wouldn't, goodness, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was late July that they started the first practice. I, I'm not sure yeah. when they'll do that. And and so school schedule wise, they're in a five week session right now. Is that right? And yeah. then there's a still another five week session to start before. Correct. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Absolutely. So most of the guys are, are taking a class or two right now. Same thing they'll be doing in in July. All right. That sounds good. Well, uh, speaking of building up to next year's football season, a lot of the national magazines are, are ramping up. And one that we pay close attention to here on the Redcast is Phil Steele. And he's been making the rounds. And I, I think actually his magazine – is probably getting delivered right now, but I don't know if it's in the newsstands quite yet. But he has uh, at slated Nebraska to win the Big Ten West. We argued this a little bit in an earlier show, right, Honk? And mm-hmm. we didn't know if he'd do that, but sure enough, uh, there he is. Yeah, he's been very bullish on Nebraska. Now, he's talked about the West being an open mm-hmm. division, but he's very bullish on Nebraska saying that They'd win the West and be the most one of the most improved teams or the most improved team of 2019. Now you have to take that with a grain of salt too. We, we're coming from four and eight, so from his perspective, you know he's yeah, looking. You at have this, to have a losing record well, to be, even be eligible to be on the most improved list. For him. That's right. Yeah, and yep. and yeah, and when you're looking at this from a national level, if you're four and eight, you have a lot to improve from, <laughs> right? I mean, you can go eight and four, and you've you've made a huge improvement. So sure. you have How to take that. Work? Hey, Boomer, I mean, you, you like stats almost as much as Phil, Phil Still. I mean, uh, were you surprised that he uh, slated us number one in the West, or is it just because it's so wide open and ultimately you could cut that 8,000 ways and at some point you just pick the team with the best quarterback? Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. I think it is, you know, we do have probably the best quarterback, at least pure talent-wise, you know, coming back, so that's a big help. And then, you know, you look at the other aspects of it, the schedule just plays out so much in Nebraska's favor 
if you look at, say, Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin draws Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State for their crossovers. So yeah. you're probably looking at possibly three losses right there in conference, you know, for Michigan or Wisconsin potentially, you know, compared to everybody else. So that's a big challenge for them. And Iowa's Iowa. So, yeah, they're probably the closest thing i think as far as a real challenge goes for first place so you got to pick somebody so heck why yeah, not us it's interesting yeah i mean i i see where he's coming from i mean it, he he likes all those uh metrics that show improvement year over year and, mm-hmm. and those type of things and cl- uh, close losses and turnover margin etc to say that's out of the norm and it's going to you know correct its course but he also likes returning starters and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't have as, as many of those from a production standpoint in the offensive side of the ball. So that's why I thought he'd probably go somewhere else. That'd be a little safer. Um, but Well, I guess what's the safer pick? I mean, Wisconsin's replacing a the quarterback. Their old line's pretty well yeah, changed out. Yeah, I thought out. Maybe I Iowa mean, would be the safest I, I, pick. Yeah, I Iowa's guess. your only guess. But, I mean, I guess Ferentz gets a bonus for every second-place finish he gets. So, you know, oh, he probably gets not, a bonus but, for just being picked number yeah. one in Phil Stills magazine, actually. Well, Dave, it's yeah. it's more than just Phil Still. Obviously, it's Athlon, it's Street and Smith, but – even just uh, eleven warriors from Ohio State, which I don't, I'm not really sure who those are, but uh, apparently they they did a they posted a thing about film study and they said don't let the four and eight record fool you. Scott Frost is building a prolific offense in Lincoln, and he did this guy whoever did that did a great film breakdown of of Nebraska. I thought he was outstanding. He he broke down the things that were successful. He broke down the areas where Martinez and the offense needs to improve. But I mean, this is a you know this is an Ohio State. Uh, outlet talking about, you know, don't let the four and eight record fool you, and and I think that that's that's something that you know depending on who you talk to, I mean, it's real easy to get stuck on four and eight. It's real easy to look at where this team was a year ago and two years ago, but uh, yeah, I mean, lot lot better now. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to actually diving into several of those magazines over the next uh, six weeks or so in prep for uh, next year's Redcast. Uh, all right, Honky, anything else on football? I know we're, we're covering a lot, but let's keep on throwing it out there. Um, I will say this. The, the Big Red Barbecue is coming up this weekend. We've got a, the second round of the Friday Night Lights, which is a great fan event if people want to get down there and go see that. Uh, this will be the, the the bigger of the, the two events in terms of uh, prospects there. Uh, but we brought that uh, that quarterback – and Dave, help me with his the last name. Costella. Again. Costella. Costelli. Costelli. That's how I say it, Costelli. But yeah. he's going to be at that uh, Big Red Barbecue, and it sounds like you know, as far as the quarterbacks offered for this next class, it's going to be whoever says yes first is going to be their guy, and they'll shut it down. So this could be a very big weekend for him if if he likes what he sees and and feels comfortable here. So uh, yeah, like we said, within the next couple weeks, recruiting could really change, or nothing could happen, and we'd still be fine. Let's talk about the quarterback thing just a little bit because that's kind of interesting. So they offered Adrian Martinez like literally moments after they signed the dotted line to become the new Nebraska coaching staff with Frost and company, right? So he was clearly their number one objective at that that point and one that they didn't feel like they could get, get at UCF. They have Logan Smothers in very early last year. I don't know what, what did he sign in February or something like that. And I mean, he's he was, been our first and only rec- was our first and only recruit for a almost a year. It seemed like right. before we had another twenty twenty one. So they clearly like, and I don't know who else they offered before, but there's someone he they offered. He committed. 
and then they shut everything else down quarterback-wise again. This year is a little bit different in the sense they've got at least 10 offers out there, and we've heard different names throughout that process, and Castelli's uh, the, the last of those that seem to have that buzz. There was one of those guys from Texas who came up on an unofficial visit, I think, during spring break. We have Jake Garcia, who's actually a legacy recruit from California, uh, from, it's Randy Garcia's son, uh, but it seems like that's cooled off a bit. There's no no buzz on that whatsoever. But I mean, they can't be as they can't be. Let me try to ask this question, Mac, in an intelligent way. They're not as high on all of those guys equally, right? I mean, I mean, I guess they they're they they're committable offers. So they're saying, hey, the first one to commit, you're our guy. But they surely want one of those guys more than others, right? I mean, or at least some sort of grade. Yeah, you know, I, I heard, I was reading an interview recently that, that Verdusco had done about the offers that you made, kind of specifically to that question. And he made it sound like we would be thrilled with any one of those guys. And then you can go online and, and people will give you their opinion on, on which one should be our priority. And it's probably based on height, weight, or wherever they were marked in rivals. But, um, you know, the way this staff evaluates talent. You know, I feel like the the reason there's more um, offers out this year or a higher number might be more to the due to the effect that they've had more time to to scout and recruit. You know, whereas right. whereas maybe with with Adrian and maybe a little bit with McCaffrey, it was like we were kind of they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Well, not really with this staff, but they were. It was it was sped They're up a little certainly. bit later to the game. Yeah, like building so, relationships. So it became, wise, it became like you, we're going to be very specific on about three. So I feel like now given time to scout and, and go out and evaluate that they really feel like, and that, that number does seem high cause there's 10 out there, but yeah. it, they really feel like any one of those guys, if they say yes, okay, then you're our guy and we're going to shut it down, which is, you know, I mm-hmm. guess great. Martinez is an interesting guy because we actually had him or Frost had him for a long time. Frost was going after him for years with UCF. So the, right. the, the, the relationship was well built. Uh, the sped up process was that Butch Davis leaves Tennessee and all of a sudden you've got a month to make a decision and do you sign where you would commit or do you do you leave? It's amazing how things can move that fast. Right now, there's no pressure on anybody. Even Smothers, I mean, who's been committed to us, as you mentioned, Mac, for, for well over a year. I don't envision him, you know, decommitting or anything. But could it happen? Of course it sure. could. We see it all the time, right? But the point is right now we're in that, that weird period where there's just all this time. So we have three recruits right now. People get worried because we only have three. They wish we'd have 13. It doesn't matter if you have three or 13 right yeah. now. It matters what you have in December when they sign, and it matters what happens in February when the last of the last players sign. That's what it really matters. Yeah, because right make no mistake, if, if we go out there and lay an egg this year, the, all these all these all commits right. we have might you know, start jumping ship sure. or whatever. Or, yeah. or let's always put that positive note on it. We go out there and we do the things that, that the Phil Stills – Say that we're going to do. Right. We do something really special this year. We go ten and two. We yeah. go eleven and one. Yeah. We we go twelve and zero. We do what what Frost did in year two at UCF. <laughs> you know, you t- what does that recruiting class look like in December with a twelve and zero record? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. no, I, I get you. I mean, yeah. look, we ended up with the top fifteen class last year for goodness sakes, and we went four and eight. Yeah. Well, Dave, I think maybe to close the pre- prediction segment of this. We always got to talk about Iowa, and uh, we have our friends at the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and uh, they weren't very kind to Allison, Iowa native and former Hawkeye uh, Eric Chenander. Um, 
they talked about him as uh, they asked the question, what about the part where Shenander wouldn't know a, a silver spoon if it was in his cereal? I'm not sure. You know, that that just seems mean. I, I, I feel like that was, I that? felt like that was more about this guy has always had to grind. That's how I took that. Oh, uh, I just took it as they're just being jerks over there. Oh. But well, I do. They are Iowans. They are. But they do say the trick for Frost and, and Nebraska Nation in year two is balancing the patience it's going to take to build a, a defense capable of winning a Big Ten West with the clock. Every Husker can hear ticking with Martinez, who's already a sophomore. Or wait, the Huskers will just try to outscore everyone. So he's already a sophomore. Like somehow he's like, yeah, he's almost, yeah. What the heck? We only have two more years minimum with him. Iowa, you, Iowa, you're going to see him twice more. Let's just, it's nice that, that, that he's already going pro after his junior year, which is great. I mean, this is amazing. We're going to have a a quarterback drafted in a couple of years. Hey, Mac, did I uh, see that you went behind enemy lines, uh, a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now you can talk about it, right? Right, yeah. Got to spend, got to spend the night there. We were uh, going to Adventureland. We went and uh, visited some family out in uh, Illinois. So on the way back, we hit Adventureland, but we stayed in Iowa City. And it was, you know what? Actually, surprisingly, kind of a, a nice little town. It, you, <laughs> I was, I, I literally, Iowa I, Sean I, is going to love this. I segment couldn't believe of the it. Show. I, I, had, I don't know if I'd ever been there before, but. Walked around it is a stadium. very nice little town. Yes. I was a little disappointed. You know, on TV, it's always like, you know, that children's hospital where they do the wave. I'm like, oh, man, that must be so big. But it's just the way it's built into kind of a hill. It's sort of a little misleading on TV. Mm. Um, and Nicole thought the uh, stadium was adorably small, which I love. She was like, oh, it's so tiny. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> Iowa is. <laughs> but uh, Iowa City, uh, so I'm sure we're going to get tons of great comments from this. But Iowa City is a nice little college town. I it mean, really is. It really was. It was clean. It was. It's it was very fun. cute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, very it's cute great. town. I mean, classic college town. It really. Is. Yeah, there's nothing to do around the stadium, right, yeah. Boomer? You went to the That's game for last sure. So. Yeah, at least it wasn't as cold as when Boomer was there. At least no. they probably had hot dog buns, but we won't get into that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Boomer's uh, big issue with the hot dog to hot dog bun ratio, but uh, anyways. <laughs> it's just simple math, folks. Let's just face it. Uh, all right, guys. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's call that a football segment, and uh, let's dive into some basketball. You're listening to the Go Big Redcast, and now, the basketball. All right, guys. Let's talk some basketball here, and uh, you know it's off season, but that doesn't mean we don't have stories coming out on on the team or staff as they prepare for their Italy trip. Uh, there was a great article, honky, I can't remember where it was at, but it was uh, interviewing Matt Abdel Massey uh, about his first couple of uh, weeks on the job, and he had some great quotes on there. You want to start us off with that? Yeah, it was a Omaha Rural Herald, and uh, they were asking him about uh, just what it took to rebuild a roster so fast. And he said, what we've done in two months, it takes programs a year to do, and I'm excited about that progress. Then he goes on to say, when you come to Nebraska, it's funny because the first thing people tell you about the job is it's hard because you can't get kids here. Those are probably the people you shouldn't have working here. That is Awesome. Like that you can just the take, right mentality. <laughs> oh, frame that quote and that quote works for every sport. Any time we struggle in football or basketball or baseball, it's always, well, you can't get kids here, you can't recruit here, you can't do this, you can't do that. Those people probably shouldn't be working here. Fair to say? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. And I, I think that 
you know, the staff is showing that, right? They are they are offering some big name guys in future classes, right? I mean, we've offered the number one and and two players out of the twenty twenty one class. Is that right, Hunk? Yeah, number one, just out of the twenty twenty one class, number one player, a five star forward, Jonathan Cumming. Uh, the number two player, uh, Terrence Clark. Uh, they've offered a four star, six ten center, Frank Anselm, out of Georgia. They're going after the big guys. There's no doubt about that. But then, just like in football, we talk about making sure you get you close down the borders. And when you look at what they've done with Donovan Williams, what they've done with a Rupp for next year, what they did to be able to get Gervais uh, Green from from Scotts Bluff to stay and stay committed, uh, you know they've gotten those local kids. They've gone after the preferred walk-ons like Piatkowski and uh, even this Brett Porter from Millard North, uh, who is now the fourth generation Husker player out of there out of Millard North there. So, I mean, it, it is that combination. It, they're not just, you know, sitting there trying to recruit everybody nationally. They're, they'll get guys from around this area too. But the point is is that they want to get guys onto this campus. This is the, this stays so true, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Get people to Lincoln. Show them the facilities. Yep. Hire great coaches and get them here. And, and this place sells itself once you get here. Yep. It's about as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. You know, the basketball recruiting is really fluid in the sense that there's, you know, the, the, it's not such a defined signing period and et cetera. So there's a lot more fluctuation, fluctuation there. You have guys committed very early that stick with those those commitments. You have guys that are signing very late in a class. I think I just saw that there's a, I'm talking about closing out your borders, there's a, a guy from, I think it was Papillion, that thought he was going the JUCO route because he wasn't going to qualify Suddenly found out he did qualify to, to play at D1, and now he is, you know, a, a 2019 recruit, and he's got like Creighton and uh, Hawaii and a few other schools uh, that he's he's looking at. And I mean, it's one of those things where if I mean, that happened a month ago, maybe Horberg would have been after him, but it just you know doesn't work out quite that way. But I, the talent in state seems to be really good. I mean, you know, we kind of. You know, football-wise, always, you know, Mac, you, we didn't talk about this too much, but it seems like uh, the frost effect, suddenly we have in-state recruits that are top 50 in the nation. It seems like there's a Hoiberg recruit thing with basketball already where it's, suddenly we're just full of these, you know, three- or four-star basketball recruits. It's, it's interesting how the state suddenly gets good when two good coaches come into those programs. Yeah, it's also amazing, you know, when you actually recruit them, that helps out too. I think, of, <laughs> yeah, I think about like Patton, you know, when he was at – Omaha North, I think it was, and and you know he somehow made it all the way through the end of his junior year, and then he you know surprised everyone and and became a top fifty recruit, goes to Creighton, and like I'm sitting there going, how do you not have a relationship if you're Nebraska, if you're Miles, how do you not have a relationship with that staff and with that program to to know who that under the radar seven footer just happens to be sitting fifty miles away from Lincoln? That's the kind of thing that. You know the recruiting game. It is kind of a game. You 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 build your name recognition up. You know teams go after you. They offer you early. All that kind of stuff. And and when a team offers you, other teams start to offer you. That's kind of how the game works. And at the very least, our staffs. I don't care if you're baseball, basketball, football, whatever. We have to know our kids in this area better than any other team knows the kids. That that's what that's what sure. it works. There's no guarantee you're going to get every one of them, but you got to know them and you have to offer them. And you have to go after them. And there are every year there are kids that are deserving of that within that, you know, 500 mile radius, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. No, I I absolutely hung. 
100% on that. All right, all right. Well, uh, you know, the basketball team is getting ready for their trip to Italy, right? Uh, who is all on, on campus right now, Honk, and, and who's missing? So uh, Cheatham and Kavas, they're finishing up their degrees right now where they are at. Um, Cam Mack should be getting here soon. He might not be here right now, but uh, – he should be getting here soon. And then the other guy is the, the French kid. Uh, I can never get his name, Dave Drago, Drago, O Drago. What is it? Just call him Drago. We're just going to call him Drago. Uh, he'll be here when practices start at the beginning of the, the second five-week summer session. He is the only player, the French kid, is the only one that I don't believe is going to make that trip to Italy. Everyone else is should yeah, he's be. He's playing for France in the under-18 UEFA basketball league or something like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure a trip to Europe is all that exciting a reward for him. So, <laughs> He's yeah. like Italy. I, do, I yeah. go to that for the weekend. Yeah, know, what do you guys? Yeah, he gets to go to to Europe. I, I'm not sure that'd be that much fun. Um, <laughs> and and I think one other thing to maybe talk about with next year's team because schedule has to get discussed when we start to talk about expectations. And the non conference schedule, uh, you know, the talk of the last couple of years where we really built that schedule up pretty strong. This is a year where it's not going to be that way. Uh, we do play at Georgia Tech, and we play at Creighton, but those are probably the two big games. And, and right now, Georgia Tech, if you go off their Ken Palm rating from last year, it was 115, and Creighton was 55. And the other teams, and I mean, I don't, I'm not going to go down the whole list, but you're going to see a lot of Southern Utahs and and UC Riversides and North Dakotas on it. It's, it's not a real strong non-conference schedule, so... Yeah, I, I will be interesting to see how this plays out year over year with Hoiberg. This makes sense for this year for me anyway, just in the sense that even with the Italy trip, they're still not going to know this team very well as they play together. I think this gives them an opportunity to pile up some wins while really letting everybody play, right? I mean, he got he has you know 10 guys that are transferring in that want to play right away. And that the best way to give them an opportunity to exhibit, you know, display their their skills and compete for legitimate playing time in the Big Ten is to play a lot those first first two months. And so, I mean, I, we we really can't dictate. I don't think how we match up with the ACC Big East Challenge anyway. We could have some better opponents in the Cayman's Classic if that plays out. But I think the reality is is opposed to last year and. and Boomer, maybe jump in on this a little bit, but last year, Miles had to wanted to create a non-conference schedule to compensate for the unknown factor of how good the Big Ten was going to be. Everybody thought it'd be better than the year before, but we know the previous year we didn't make the turn because the Big Ten was perceived to be poor. Uh, this time around, Hoiberg doesn't really care about that at all. He's just trying to get those those players to play together, and if we're competitive in the Big Ten. That will take care of itself, right? I mean, we'd have enough wins. That's not really the point. But if we'll have plenty of quality wins by the end of the Big Ten season, likely, if if we would happen to to compete in in conference well. Yeah, I think that's a fair approach to that. Uh, that one year with Miles, that the Big Ten was such a aberration. I don't think you can expect it to be down as much like like that one ha- year happened to be. So. I think it's a fair approach. Got to got to learn your roster. It won't be the most exciting basketball, you know, if you really dig deep into it. But you know what? If Nebraska ball's winning, I think people will jump on board. It'll be a good yeah, time. It could so. be fun just yep. to see them play. I think it's just going to be interesting to see the team play. 
because it is going to be different. So how about this as a question, especially with Hoiberg, with the, the kind of the cachet that his name brings with him, what's more important in year one anyways? Is, is RPI important right now, or is just getting wins important? I mean, at, at the end of the year, well, I, if we're 20, we win 21 or 22 games, partially because of what we just talked about in the non-conference. It's so bad that you, you win 12 or 13 before you even get in the conference, right? But and then you get in the conference and now you're starting to play a little bit better. The team is starting to figure its way out. You know, some guy has stepped up. Some guy that was a starter originally is now a backup. You know, all those things kind of happen. And by the end of the year, you have a, a, a fairly average Big Ten season. But you, you've you've backloaded some wins early on, and it's the Hoiberg effect. I mean, Dave, does that does that you know pull some weight? It's possible, I suppose. We had that discussion last year, whether if we had a different coach with the same scenario, would that have a different end result? Uh, I guess this would be a really interesting test case on that if we have a similar record. You know, I think it's the quality losses, the quad one, quad two wins, that type of thing. If we go out and ensure we're 12-1 and one going into the Big Ten play, and then we go, what, 9-11? and 11? I guess so. We got twenty, you know, twenty-one wins or something like that. But out of those nine wins, if you go nine and eleven in the Big Ten, and what it looks to be a, a strong conference again, that means you probably have some quality wins on your schedule, regardless yep. if you didn't get one of them in non-con. And it probably means you got a couple of quality road wins, most likely as well. And so, I mean, think about it. Last year, we were horrible in the Big Ten, and we still weren't weren't that far off the bubble. Yeah, I mean, it probably was two or three games. Wasn't it Ohio and State s- got in and they were four, they were four wins under or two, you know, whatever they yeah they had yeah yeah I think they were eight and twelve and they yeah got eight in. and twelve yeah what were we six and fourteen in that kind of conference last year or something like yeah, that? I mean, yeah I mean we were so, probably I mean, two maybe three wins away. And we were horrible, and we didn't deserve it. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, the reality is a couple extra wins, and we're probably probably going dancing. And those could have been against Rutgers or whoever else we lost to that we shouldn't have lost mm-hmm. to. So uh, we're, we're that far away from still you know, having the Tim Miles era upon us, which, hey, it is what it is. got to win those games, and they didn't do it. So I, I think I, – I guess you'll we'll find out if Hoiberg makes a difference or not. But, honestly, I, I think it may not be that necessary i think if we had happened to go 9 and 11 this year in the big 10 that might be good enough well dave we have a couple of mailbag questions the the first one here uh, comes from honky he's on the redcast and (laughs) in a couple days uh, a couple nights here we're going to have the nba draft and isaiah roby is going to be the first name uh, of a husker mentioned in that since 1999 vincent hamilton does roby does he pull a first round a late first round pick or is he destined to be second round in your mind if i was a betting man he's a second rounder probably i'd say in the low 40s could he be a first rounder um what i've read is there's a few teams out there that are that high on him so if it just happens to fall where they don't have the guy that they may have above the board uh and he, he is the guy that that lands at their spot, it's possible he goes first round, but I, I'm going to say like 43rd, something like that, 43, 45, somewhere in that neck of the woods. Boomer, do you have any uh, any insight there? Uh, I'm no expert on the NBA draft, surprisingly. It's not our forte here on the Redcast, <laughs> but uh, I think that's fair from everything I've heard about it. I, I 
it just a lot of that's just pure chance of who's who's gone, who isn't, you know, who who those later round teams had in their boards that are gone, and he might slip in there. But yeah, if if you're putting money down on this Redcasters, uh, yeah, I'd probably bet second round. Okay. And Dave, not that I want to transition us too fast into baseball, but this is kind of a perfect mailbag question we got from coworker Eric, and it combines basketball and baseball together. He says, who will find more success in year one, Hoiberg or Bolt? And I'm going to start. I want everyone to, to kind of chime in on this one, but I'll start with you, Dave. Hoiberg or Bolt, who, who do you got next year? How do you define success? Yeah, that's the big question. Well, you have to define it in your answer. <laughs> Wait a second. That seems circular in some way. Um, well, if we define success through postseason success, I think it's more likely that Will Bolt is uh, has a more successful first season as I think he has a squad that could compete for a regional in year one. I say that with some apprehension because I think think Fred Hoiberg might also have that squad to, to uh, compete for an NCAA tournament berth in year one. We just don't know how well this team will play together and if they all f- come together and the pieces of the puzzle actually make a picture, right? If that's the case, I think Hoiberg could actually have a better first year. But the safer bet here is to say Bolt because I think he has a more clear picture of what his roster can and cannot do. What do you think, Boomer? Yeah, it's it. It depends how you're going to define success. Are we comparing, you know, the teams against each other? Or are we comparing, you know, next year's Nebraska ball team to last year's, and you know, next year's Nebraska ball team to to this year's? Uh, you know, Bolts probably got more of a team coming back and more of a known quantity. You know, success probably has to be again a good run in the Big Ten tournaments and you know, regional. Anything less than that, obviously, I, you know, wouldn't be success. I don't think at any point. Uh, Hoiberg, you know, for this to be a successful year, I mean, good grief, just win more than six games in the conference and finish better than what they finished, 13th, I think, in the Big Ten. Yeah. So, I mean, God, you finished ninth or 10th, and that's an improvement over last season. You so. know, Boomer, Boomer, that's mm-hmm. a good point there, actually, because we talk about that in football. We we went 4-8 and eight a year ago. We, we, yeah. we want to do that as a comparison. Basketball, we won six conference games. Yeah, there's not a high bar just coming off of last season. <laughs> no, no, they really aren't. And yeah, they weren't a lot of good conference wins either. So I mean, it's and so the bar's now, pretty in, low, I think, as far as that goes. So in Horberg's first year, Iowa State, they won a bunch of their non-conference games and won very few in conference. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll see. Mac. I think Frost will have the best year. I uh, <laughs> feel like he's positioned himself in a way with recruiting and culture change that uh, I really look forward to his uh, next uh, next season. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, a quick side note on this honk is that oh, we've talked a lot about the roster turnover with Fred Hoiberg. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Will Bolt. We're presuming that most of these players want to stick around and Will Bolt wants them to stick around. That's probably the case. Is a little different uh, scenario uh, than the complete culture shift that has occurred in either football or basketball here. I don't think that's the case. I think Will Bolt, actually someone who coached under Erstad, won't actually be that much of a shift. It's not like they're replacing someone who was relieved and fired, right? So you don't need to hire the opposite. Erstad and Bolt aren't that different, actually, I think, from, uh, from a mentality standpoint. 
but we'll see if there's any attrition and if Will Bolt brings any extra extra juice in from the Texas Juco ring. So. Yeah, well, I think we full-fledged transferred into uh, the the baseball talk here. Around the Van Horn. And we had a couple questions, Dave, that came in to the mailbag, baseball-specific. Uh, first one is our first Instagram question. Yay! Wow. At Go Big Redcast and Instagram. And this comes from Tucker's August, who oh, says... I know those guys. <laughs> says, if Will Bolt wasn't a former Husker, would he be our head baseball coach? Knowing he's not a top 50 assistant, I'll hang up and listen. Boomer, I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> well, um, I can sum it up pretty quickly. No. Uh, yeah, you're, I, there'd be no reason to go out, and probably he wouldn't even be on your radar, I don't think, if he didn't have a Nebraska connection. And we, we kind of touched on this in last week's show. I, yeah, and that's one of those things that is kind of important at Nebraska, you know, whether it's the critical piece of a puzzle, you know, having to have those Nebraska ties. That was the question last week. Do you have to have that to be successful here? Is it important? It's not 100% important, but I think it was something useful to look for in this case. So obviously he is going to be on a radar. You, you need somebody with some understanding of baseball in Nebraska, the challenges it has, familiarity with the program, the recruiting areas, the players, all that. So. It's just a natural choice to look for him, obviously. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. There's no way that Will Bolt would have been on our radar if it wasn't for the Nebraska connection. It's not that he's not a, a, a well-regarded coach, but he's not as the highest-regarded assistant coach in the SEC. Uh, there's many others that would be higher on that list right now, I would guess. Now, a couple years ago, when... A&M had some good offenses, and, and maybe like that year they made the World Series. That that could have been a little bit more buzzworthy in that sense, but it just the uh, last couple of years have probably lowered his uh, kind of like, uh, you know, um, his, his prestige or his prestige. So thank you. I appreciate the help there, Hong. And so I mean, that, that could easily switch in two more years. A&M might suddenly would have had a great offense and suddenly – Will Bolt's name's back out there, but uh, just it isn't the case. But it doesn't mean he's not a good hire. It's yeah. just that he's not a top top SEC assistant right now compared to others. I think just the, the kind of the basis of the question though is basically saying you know if, if he hadn't you know been a former Husker, would we have hired him? Well, familiarity is important everywhere. It, it doesn't have that's not unique to Nebraska. There are coaches all across the country in all sports, not just basketball or football or whatever, but there are people that get hired at places because they are familiar to that area because they have some history there that they never would have got hired if they didn't have that. So I don't sure. know that Day right now at Ohio State would be the, the football coach if if Meyer doesn't leave and basically kind of ascends him up to it, right? I don't know that Wisconsin's basketball coach is the guy that is there right now if – he didn't get the the job halfway through the season when you know the yep, I can't even think of the guy's right. name now. But yeah. they are you Lincoln yeah. Riley? Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley's on the one list. I was thinking. Yep. Tom yeah. Osborne was not the top guy off of that staff that had Monty Kiffin and Warren Powers and and a number of guys that could have been the head coach instead of him if Devaney doesn't you know elevate him up there. And it wasn't like Osborne just had job offers coming all over him from all over the country. So the point is is that. You know, this isn't something that's unique. Now, having said that, that shouldn't diminish what Bolt is. Bolt is a darn good coach that has a lot of good experience right now. He has experience specific to Nebraska and the Big Ten. We talked about that on the last show. 
He has experience here under Erstad in the Big Ten and understands the, the issues that are inherent to that. He has experience as an assistant coach under Childress at mm-hmm. at A&M. That's important. He was part of Nebraska during the glory years. We, we've we talked about how important that, you know, if we want to get Nebraska football back to Nebraska football, you hire somebody from that era. So we hire Frost. Well, if we want to get some, if we want to get baseball back to the glory years of, of those Van Horn years, we just got Will Bolt who has records and is as good as any player that we had during that time. To me, the hire absolutely makes sense. Now that's a different conversation from was he the number one choice that, that Moose was going after and, and Dave and Boomer, we've talked a lot about Moose has been unbelievable as an AD. He's hit his number one guy, you know, on almost every single uh, search. I mean, I think we can all agree this time he probably didn't get his number one guy, but that doesn't mean that he got a bad option out of it either. And it yeah, still didn't no, turn into a fiasco as far as a coaching Oh, search. yeah. This right. was, it, was like, it was pretty quick. It seemed pretty natural. Everyone seemed to go – well, that makes sense, yeah. you know. Like to me, to me, like a, as a French baseball fan, I like it when we win and everything like that. Bolt made a ton of sense, like you said. He was <clears throat> the theme seems to be get a player who understands the culture when it was in the heyday, like when mm-hmm. whatever that program was the best. Let's get somebody from that era and see if we can bring him back and instill that kind of going forward. So, in that in mind, that's in keeping with with Moose's philosophy. Did he get the best guy out there? I mean, what? what what is the expectation of that? How reasonable? How high could we have paid yeah. realistically for a nonprofit sport? You know, I just I feel like to me it's like this is this is a pretty fair hire in in terms of was anybody embarrassed by the process or by the end result of who we got hired? No. Am I embarrassed? Which I mean, that's that's a low. I know that's no, a low bar. That's no, a very no. I know that's yeah, a I'm low bar, but no. but to Max' point, I mean, we have all kinds of terrible hiring. We saw UCLA. Was I was I hopeful for more? The answer is yes. Sure, but I'm embarrassed by no but, means. Quick, quick so. question, Dave. Though, how much more? Like, in terms of, I would have been willing to pay this or this echelon of coach should have been within our radar or like realistically, did you think how well, much higher? Well, I, I don't I don't know what. Bill Moose honestly did, so I, I can't say he didn't do this. But, I mean, it sounds like he, if he was quartering Childress or Pat Casey, which was a name that was out there, mm-hmm. he clearly was willing to pay well over a million dollars. You think he would have? For, absolutely. There's no we way have he would to, to get those, guys. Talks to to those yeah. guys. No, 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 no. I'm saying do you think Moose would have paid a million? Well, if he, if he was – I think he's interested in Childress, number one. I don't think that breaks any news. And Childress makes 800000 at A&M, so there's no way you aren't – you're not you, at the very least. You're beginning at eight hundred thousand. We yeah, all you're know matching that up. and giving a very long contract at, at, at minimum. Yeah, but and my more likely is, he's giving him a raise. That? He he would have been willing to pay whatever. And so children said no to at least probably a million. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean that's yeah. that just to just he he at least my, said no to eight hundred thousand because at the very least you're not offering him less than what he makes, and so the point is is that. At the end of the day, we didn't get that guy, but we ended up getting a guy for three hundred thousand. Who, for me personally, well, he was high on my list from the beginning. I liked Bolt, and Moose will pass away. the savings on to you, Husker fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if if Will Bolt is successful, he's going to be getting paid eight hundred thousand a year at some point anyway. Uh, so that's yeah, you know, he'll get his raises eventually at some point if he's successful. And look, I mean, Michigan is doing quite well in the College World Series this year. Eric Bakich is the most highest-paid 
coaching the Big Ten. Uh, he's proving that you can compete at a high level right now, though. And, we and how much longer Nebraska, will he be a coach in the Big Ten, I wonder? Well, he already turned down uh, several other coaching positions, so he had his opportunities to leave already. What, what does he make a year? Well, Do you have any idea? So uh, the, the stat I've seen was 400000 but Dave, you mentioned on a previous show that Backage was making like 600 something. His so. total compensation is more around 600000 okay. so his base salary is four hundred. And uh, he's got other things worked in there. Michigan should probably up that after this year, I would say. Yeah, and I think if you up it, you know, up to the eight hundred thousand or maybe a million, I mean, it's much harder to go after that to be put you close to a top ten pay right there, right? So, um, might be worth it to do that. Bottom line is, I don't, I don't think Nebraska needs to be shy about paying real money for a baseball coach, especially if it was going to be a established power five head coach that had won at a very high level and i think moose was willing to do that hmm. ultimately when we didn't get those those coaches to commit he went under you know to safer route with will bolton and, mm-hmm. and paying a lot less i don't i don't know if he went after some other coaches that would have been more in that middle tier right like the duke coach right. or anything mm-hmm. else that would have been intriguing to me because i think they've already proven that they're they're more established than Will Bolt. Will Bolt might be that in two years. Yep. And that's what my hope is. Yep. So. Well, and, and to Max's point about, you know, this is a non-revenue generating sport, it is for pretty much everyone. Other than, unless you're LSU, I don't know that, that baseball is a revenue producing sport for anyone. And Nebraska, the fact that we sell out our stadium the way that we do and get, you know, 4,500, well, 5,000 people showing up. It, I, mean, I feel I, like it could easily, if, if Nebraska but, owned their stadium, we could be a revenue generating sport. It's just there's some obstacles. There's obstacles, and we, have, and we have travel that's built into it now that we're in the Big Ten. There's there's some more travel. But my, my point is, is that there are teams out there this is where it comes down to what are you willing to pay and what do you what are what resources are you willing to give towards the sport there are schools that are willing to give a lot of resources TCU pays their coach 1.5 million and wow. they're doing that without necessarily that return of we're going to make that money back but we just want to be that good at baseball it's that important um yep. i i have no issue with us getting bolt i think bolt can get us to be that good of a program. Dave Van Horn was just here in Omaha this week and just said that, you know, gave some great accolades to Bolt. So did his former head coach Childress that has been to Omaha with the World Series. I have no doubt that Bolt can get us there. And if we only have to pay him 300000 for a couple of years until we have to double that or start to pay him eight hundred and nine hundred because he's, you know, taking us routinely to super regionals and college world series awesome that's that, ideal that's exactly I mean, that's what michigan fantastic. to dave's that be, point that's, that's exactly michigan right now right package yeah, pay him four hundred thousand right now plus you know a couple hundred thousand for extra things and guess what you you do what you're doing right now for us at michigan he might be a million dollar coach next year and that's worth it nebraska's willing to pay if, if the results are there i don't i don't feel like there's any concern with that that'd be fantastic yep well, I look forward to it. Speaking of Michigan at the, the College World Series, Dave, this kind of leads us to our last question in the mailbag. This is from Tyler Garbers from our Go Big Redcast at Gmail account. He said, hey, guys, Tyler here from your stomping grounds. I assume that means Columbus. And he goes, my question is, am I a bad fan for cheering on Michigan during the CWS? Dave, you mentioned earlier that you would be rooting for them, so I'm going to guess that you're not going to say that he's a bad fan for that. No, because I think it only benefits Nebraska. I suppose there's a scenario where – rooting for a Big Ten team like hurt Nebraska, then why would you root for them? But in this instance, the better Michigan does, 
in the College World Series, and they are 2-0 and in a very good position to advance to the championship series. A lot of work to be done, but they're in a good position to do that. That is something that has not happened in a very long time. And Michigan actually has won a national title back in the, twice, I believe, um, as late as 1962. Uh, that was a very different College World Series, right? So this is a huge opportunity for the Big Ten to not only make the College World Series like Indiana did in 2013, but say they could compete in the College World Series, which is even against some of the inherent disadvantages we talked about last show, like with the, the scholarship management and, and those type of things. If we can achieve that, that should actually help us continue to, to hire good coaches in this league and to attract players to say you can compete at a high level in the Big Ten. And if we finally started to get some of those fan bases riled up, and actually attending games, uh, it, it would really turn the corner, I think. So I think it's a positive that Michigan's doing well in the World Series. Root for him. Boomer, uh, counterpoint, you, you hate Michigan, right? Oh, no, I don't hate Michigan. But, you know, if we wanted to argue against it, I suppose you could. But, uh, you know, what benefit is it to Nebraska if a team in the conference does well? I don't know. I have a hard time making that argument. I can't even make a valid one. Dave's points are all good there. Uh it's what you need. You need the Big Ten to start showing it can be a legitimate basketball, or excuse me, baseball conference. And, you know, if it requires Michigan to do that just to show it that it can be done, that I don't see how that possibly hurts Nebraska. You know, you might be able to start keeping some of those northern kids up here. You know, that's one of the things we've talked about with with uh, football, just trying to keep those kids here that are, you know, there's talent. There's players on A&M's roster that are from Nebraska. So yep, if you can absolutely. show that they can win championships staying here, that's a plus. You know, whatever it takes to do that. And if it's team in the Big Ten, if it's Michigan, let's do it. All right, so Mac. I guess plus, why so root for the SEC all the time? Mac, somebody has to hey. win. You know. Adrian Martinez, you know, the guy who's got, he's, he's <laughs> not on anybody's short list for the Heisman. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Tyler from Columbus, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're in good hands with Adrian. <laughs> hey, Hockey, I, I felt like when uh, uh, Boomer uh, said that I had a good answer, I kind of felt like uh, Will Ferrell in old school when he's doing the debate with uh, James Kirk. <laughs> Essentially <laughs> what I was going for, yeah. <laughs> That's how you debate. I have nothing. That answer was perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I think that... Wandell Robinson. <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> so anyways, that closes out the, uh, the all the mailbag stuff. I think that closes out the baseball chatter. And gosh... I hate to say this, I think that closes out season three for us, Dave. I mean, there's nothing more to talk about with the past. It's all future now. It's going to be a very short off season, though. I think we've got uh, at least a couple shows that we'll do in between now and when fall practice kicks off. Uh, But let's, uh, let's wrap this season up with some parting shots. Hockey, what do you have for me? All right, well, I want to start off with uh, the Hall of Fame right now, the College Football Hall of Fame. Three Husker greats are among the 76 players announced as finalists for it. Uh, Larry Jacobson, Zach Wiegert, part of the pipeline that was here last weekend, and uh, Heisman Trophy winner and state player Eric Crouch. Uh, just as an aside, a couple weeks, a couple years ago, um, my wife and I were going across the country. We are doing all 50 state capitals. We want to hit all of them by age 50. And a couple years ago, we did Atlanta. And Atlanta is where the College Football Hall of Fame is. And if you haven't had a chance, Redcasters, to go there, do. It is absolutely worth it. It is a great museum to go to. Um, when you get to the uh, the Hall of Fame, 
you get this lanyard and you type in like your school of choice. And if you type in Nebraska, as you walk around the hall of fame, like, you know, you'll walk in and it will read your lanyard and whatever the, whatever the display is, if it's Heisman room or whatever, if you have Nebraska as your school, all this Nebraska stuff pops up. So it's totally like you get this customized kind of experience just based off of whatever you typed in, which I think was pretty cool. So that's number one. If you one. type in Iowa, Ference gets a bonus and an extension. So. <laughs> so, that's so true. Very good, Boomer. That's that's good. Next up, uh, I have the, the Wayback Machine, uh, the Internet uh, Archives. I went on this today, and this is the, like the wrong route to go down at work because, like, no production after after I did this, but you can start to see like old websites and things that have you know long, long been been uh, taken down, right? Well, I had a Husker website. A buddy of mine, Greg Anderson, and I had about twenty years ago called Husker Chronicles, and you guys would all remember it. And Absolutely. Holy smokes, man! I looked this up, and like we had these these uh, oh different sections on it or segments on it. Uh, the barstool chalk talk. I used to design football plays and post them up there. I'm talking like 2000, 2001. And, uh, but also we started to get press passes and got to go up into the press box for a couple of games. And I, one of my things I wrote about was, uh, when I went up there in the press box in 2001 for the, or 2000 for the San Jose state game. So I wrote a whole thing about, about being up there in the press box. That was kind of fun to read. So I posted a couple of those things at Twitter and last but not least, have a safe and fun summer Redcasters. Uh, we'll probably do one or two more shows, as Dave mentioned. One of them we're going to be doing with Pick 6 Previews. So we're going to do an interview with them somewhere here probably in July. Uh, Mac, I think you and I will do it yeah. with them. And, uh, but other than that, yeah, until August uh, and fall camp starts up, we'll kind of take a, take a few weeks off, you know, do, do our vacations, all the good stuff. Absolutely, a little sabbatical. All right, Mac, what do you got? I uh, just want to thank the loyal Redcast listeners for uh, another season of, of of taking this little journey with us. It's It's been fun to do. We're so excited for next season, man. I feel like we're finally going to have talk about maybe possibly five to six, seven, eight wins. You know, <laughs> this, this is going to be a record <laughs> Anything year for more the Redcast, than four and eight. You know, <laughs> so uh, appreciate all the support we've got going forward. We're going to have a lot more to talk about next year. Good things, positive things. Uh, the the off season can be a little bit long, and then the news coming out tends to be a little bit negative. But you know, stay the course, Husker fans. Everything's going to be just fine. Stay the course. Stay the course. I like it. All right, Boomer. Well, we are at that time of year where uh, Husker sports kind of goes down low and gets a little quiet around here. So uh, the Husker sports podcast will be quieting down uh, for the month of July. But no worries, Red Casters. We transition seamlessly into talk about Husker academics and Nebraska-based stuff. So please tune in next week when Honky will be starting us off on Willa Cather's uh, Prairie Trilogy. So please have your questions uh, about O Pioneers and Song of the Lark ready to go. He'll be fielding those for you. <laughs> and that's the uh, news yeah. from Lake Wobegon. <laughs> I'm going to be in Red Cloud next weekend. God. Oh, mm. nice. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Well, uh, it was a great show. Uh, let's wrap up this season by saying uh, that we look forward to next football season. Here we go. Uh, that's a Go Big Red cast. Beat South Alabama. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.